0: Hello and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Jeremy and I'm here with my wife Rosie and today we are talking to Gina.
1: Gina is an entrepreneur, model, content creator and alopecia advocate. Gina grew up as a black child in a white family and shares how that upbringing meant that she started learning about hair and doing her own hair from the age of eight. This passion continued throughout her life and she spent years as a hairdresser and as a hair blogger then she got alopecia and she shares with us her experience of alopecia the link between hair and femininity and how she has learned to be confident as a bold woman we really hope you enjoy this episode hi Gina welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here I'm so excited to have this conversation and welcome
2: thank you for having me glad to meet you both and yeah let's get going
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we uh have you on the show today because we wanted to talk about, um, well, we found your Instagram account, basically, where you talk about your experience, with, your experience with alopecia and also about your business creating wigs. And I've been diving into your story. So you're based in the UK, you're a mom of two girls, you're the founder of Gina Knight Wig Design, you've been doing that for about 10 years now, you're also a model and... Yeah, on your social and on your website, you talk about your alopecia droni, trying to wa- raise awareness about about this topic that is not very known by, I think, most people. Mm,
3: yeah.
0: um, so maybe we can start with uh, a little something that I've noticed on your Instagram. Is uh, On Instagram, your name is Gina Atinuke Knight. And I was mm-hmm. wondering where your name, Atinuke, was coming from.
2: Yeah so that's my um, middle name. I changed my name when I was seven years old because from 11 months old I was in private foster care. Um, I was brought over by my Nigerian mum who uh, left me with a family to then went back to Nigeria and it was quite common in the 80s and um I think from the 1960s it's been quite common it's almost like not necessarily a status symbol because some there's different economic um, reasons for doing it some uh some of the parents were studying uh Mm. and some just really wanted that status symbol of saying oh my child is being nannied in um England but it was very Mm -hmm. much an unregulated kind of experience I was lucky enough to be with uh be put with a private foster parent who had had Nigerian children before was known right. to social services in a good way, not known to social services <laughs> yeah. in a bad way, but um, they, they were known to have these children. So it was all very, I used to get visits from a social worker and things like that. But there are many cases where in fact that never happened and people would just be, children would just be left with random families. And I've heard uh, over time, I've been sharing my story about private adoption, um, sorry, private fostering and um, it used to be called farming um, so you'd be farmed out to different families and in a lot of cultures it's very common um, but it was very prevalent in the UK with um Nigerian uh people of Nigerian heritage and Nigerian people um mm. and we would just be sort of left there and it kind of there's a lot there's a lot to be said for um the types of people that would do this or because there was a lot of cases of answering ads like oh i need someone to look after a three-year-old or i need someone to look after an a, an 11 month old right. um and i was 11 months old at the time in hindsight i've over the years i've learned lots of different things about the circumstances and the reasons that it happened to me um but my uh when I was born I was born 10 weeks early so I was very small um and I went back to Nigeria for I assume for 11 months it's all very unclear to me Mm. um but came back because at a later date my I realized that my they well my mum had said my birth mum had said that Because I was uh, so small and I had breathing problems, she was really scared that I would die. Uh, So she brought me back to the UK Mm. um, because of the NHS and because of all these different things. And then for reasons that I won't go into, she didn't return until I was seven years old. So Mm. during that time, I was calling my private foster parents, mum and dad. And I became the only child that the only private foster child that they had at that time. Um, and around seven I decided to change my name Um, so I took their last name and I picked a new first name I was literally like I don't Mm. want any sort of links to my heritage or my culture but this is coming from the the headspace of a seven year old in hindsight maybe they shouldn't have let me completely disregard parts of myself but it was the 80s and no one really cared (laughs) Um, so I changed my name and then later on um, and this is quite recently, I I haven't changed my name back. I'm still Gina Knight. Um, but I just on social media I use my um my first name, my first birth mm-hmm. name. Um, just as a gentle nod to my heritage, I guess, because it take it's I I didn't mention, but my pros- bleh, private foster parents were actually white, so there was always that kind of um disconnect between myself and my heritage and my blackness so it was kind of like quite a um, quite a strange thing to have to relearn that over years because I I would never really be able to connect with my peers mm-hmm. um, and that brings me on to the fact reason why I love hair so much and especially as a black woman is that it helps me connect with my other with people who look like me it helps me connect with other women especially because we have this we have this thing in common we have this hair in common um and it we have the same struggles with it we have the same joys with it um so it's always been important to me from a young age um and it's really helped me to connect and and grow within um the black community Hmm.
1: Before yeah, we continue you know. with the hair discussion, alopecia and things, I'm just wondering: Did have you? So you said your mom came back, your birth mom came back to England in when you were seven. Have you had mm. a relationship with her since? Like, have not, not particularly. To her no, it's been very on and off. Like, I as I get
2: older, I understand her more and I understand the reasons why she does did the things that she did. Mm. Um, but I think. The last time I saw her in the flesh, I was 13. So wow. it's almost like a lot of it is very much just the ship has sailed. I have no yeah. ill will, but there's no real, you know, I'm very much a, a, a. once something has happened, I've just sort of dealt with it now and I don't really want to go back over old ground. So having yeah. a, re- yeah. a, there's never going to be that kind of mother daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but. I think that can be said for a lot of people who, yeah. you know, the the, the mother daughter. I have two daughters. I know that the mother daughter relationship will continue to be something that I'm going to have to work on. Um, but yeah, I think we just we don't really just have that kind of relationship, and that's fine. Um, I don't feel like I feel like I've missed out on a lot of things. But that being said. I think people go through worse, I guess. I just, I feel like I've just evolved and moved on from it. Like, I Mm. don't really, I don't need that relationship Mm. as much as I used to think I needed it when I was younger. Mm. I just sort of um, decided that it was never going to happen. So, there's no point in trying to force it. And um, we're just completely different people culturally, the way we think, like, it's especially within the Nigerian culture um, and African culture as a whole. It's almost very. It's very academic. It's very. You have to if like being working in creative industry is something that you wouldn't really do, and just even the basic things like that. She's like, oh, why aren't you working in a bank? Why aren't you an accountant? Why you? So it's like I don't right. know maths. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I, I don't know, um, and just being, I'm just quite a, a liberal, open person, and she's very not. So, and I think that as much as we can be you are you have parents and your mum and your dad or they're your mum. Um, you don't have to get along. Don't have we don't have any and we haven't had that we have it's like meeting your mum at thirty and thinking that you have to be connected straight away. Like that's yeah. that we're just gonna have things in common. You don't even when even when you're born with your mum and you and she raises you, it doesn't necessarily correlate into having anything in common. We're completely different people. Yeah. Um and I think trying to force that now at the age that I am, nearly forty years old, is like, mm. like I'm, yeah. very, I'm respectful of my elder,
1: but that's literally
2: where it ends. That's about it,
1: you know. Yeah. And then in terms of your, did you get adopted then? Because you said you had foster parents. Did they adopt you? In the I end, had foster or...
2: parents, and they got legal guardianship of me. They couldn't actually adopt me because they were too old. Um. Okay. So yeah, they just got custody of me until I was eighteen. And which was the the same basically It's technically the same that when yeah. you were yeah. adopted the it's the same thing mm. um it's just not officially adoption it's um it's custody it's so
0: technically yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it's like custody care and control of the um of the minor so that's what happened and yeah it's a very uh very odd sort of way to grow up it always makes me uh think. I was all, I always stood out uh, as a youngster, and I've never sort of mm. blended in for no want of my own. I want I would quite like to blend in sometimes, um, but yeah, it's always like the girl who's got no mum, like the girl who her mm. pet or her da- her mum and dad are white, or you know, just mm. there's always something.
1: So yeah, it was a very um interesting childhood. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing. It sounds like it was something that happened quite a lot, like you said in the 80s and things. But I wasn't no,
2: never
3: heard of
1: aware one. of it. Yeah, I didn't know mm. that. Happened. I didn't know yeah a lot of people too.
2: a lot of quite famous people are private fostered um mm. so like limford christie um mm. lorraine pascal the uh the um she she was a chef um there's quite a few uh, uh, as a and a and a british director made a film called farming and he has a very famous story where he was um uh He joined, like, a right-wing group uh, Mm -hmm. as a black man, um, and he was private fostered, and he... Um, put out a film about it which i haven't watched because i feel like i would be traumatized so yeah. um, i haven't gone down there and actually watched it but when i spoke about it for the first time publicly so many people contacted me um telling me that mm. like mirroring my story almost mm. exactly to the word to the dates some some of them as well as people who are you know my age mates who it has happened to and I genuinely grew up thinking I was one of the very few people that it ever happened to.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: uh, yeah, it was really, I think it just goes to show sometimes the importance of social media and not yeah. being the um, cesspool yeah. of trolling. It can actually bring people together and let people share their story. So, Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's, it's very often the case when we go through, it can be any most of the time difficult experience that, we feel very lonely when it's happening at the time, uh, because we don't know anyone in our uh, close environment that has went through the same thing. But actually, when you look on the internet and social media, and, and we discover that, yeah, we're not alone, and, and finding this sense of, if we, if we are looking for it, belonging, and we can talk to people about it, and share things, if it's something that's necessary, uh it's it's often the case i feel for many yeah. many diverse stories and experiences that people go through yeah i
2: think
0: so so it's really interesting what you said about uh growing up in a white family and being in a, in a sense disconnected to your blackness right because you i guess it was a white community also that you grew up around not just your your, your foster parents uh- right
2: no. Well, actually, I grew up in South East London, which is very diverse, okay. which uh, which is why I probably say that my experience wasn't as bad as some of the experiences that I've heard about, simply because I was able to I had neighbours and I had friends and I would go to school and there would be people who looked like me um it was more of a an internalized thing at home like the microaggressions of being the only black person or black child within certain situations um and just culturally like being like just simply being able to do my hair, my mum couldn't do my hair, she didn't know how to do my hair, mm-hmm. and because of the era that we were in when we it's not it's not like now like if mm. now you would if you were going to adopt outside your race, you would learn these things, you would yeah. have to learn these things. I've spoken to social workers and things like that, and they're very very like um it's very difficult to foster children who aren't from the same ethnic background as you Mm. um which I'm sort of on the fence about whether that's good or bad but um I think as someone who grew up in that situation I can tell you that it's so important to embrace that culture that that child is from and try your Mm. best to um facilitate and put those people put that child in front of their culture as much as Mm. you possibly can without being weird about it I guess um but yeah, I found that a lot of people, me growing up within a more multicultural uh, neighborhood and area, was like really beneficial to me, hmm. um, because I've heard stories of people who grew up in Devon or in really predominantly white areas. Where, um am not saying that I don't know if Devon's predominantly right white. <laughs> so I assume so. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you know and how that affected them and how yeah. they see themselves i never ever grew up thinking that um that like black wasn't beautiful i mm. i grew up around amazing women i i think my i was very lucky at especially at my high school um that i was always put into mentorship programs cuz i think they mm. thought you need it um with like really um really amazing black women who were business owners and you know those are the people that I used to look up to and it was like I had a lot of mentors growing up so I think that's what helped me um even to this day like I would my friends mums I was always very much like I would have mixed race and black friends and they had black mums and I would sort of gravitate towards them and sort of embrace and learn it as much as I could because I know that when I went home I didn't have that I had a I I will prefix that with saying that I love my my um, foster mum. She's passed away now, but I she was a very caring and nurturing woman in terms of like just being a very nice lady. But sometimes being a like nice lady just isn't enough mm. um, when you're raising a child that doesn't look like you, and also raising a child that is uh, will have all the issues of just being in foster care anyway, and being. Mm. Uh, sort of adopted anyway, is always going to have those issues, Um, even when you are adopted into very wonderful circumstances, shall we say, like if I was, you know, if I was one of Angelina Jolie's children, I'm sure I'd be like (laughs) jumping around with excitement. But also, that does still come with issues. It's not Mm. like, you know, um, uh, transracial adoption is an issue overall and it can and there's a fine line between you know wanting to be a good adoptive or foster parent and white saverism so Mm -hmm. there and the line is very thin and it can be um detrimental to the child which is the most important prefix i think what we should be trying to do especially in today today and i hope that is what we're doing today is trying to save families you know and um help people stay with their with their parents you know Mm. and help the in the underlying issues of why someone would feel the need to leave their child or Mm. the you know what what is the reason that this child is in foster Mm. care or private foster care you know um and i think maybe today that is something that would be more looked into but in the 60s 70s and 80s it was just a case of you know um that woman's left her child, so we're going to give you to this nice white yeah. couple because, mm. you know, politics or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think those kind of um, that kind the the, uh, the issues with identity is really what um, what affected me more as opposed to anything else. So when I walked outside my house, there was lots of, there was lots of diversity, there's lots of different people. But even with that, it's like. I couldn't really connect with other uh, Nigerian d- children of immigrants because they had a different culture. They grew up mm. differently to me. the The culture is so like so intricate and detailed that there are still things that I don't even understand. I'm still I would still I still struggle to talk to people, to black women or black men or anyone on On a level in regards to culture, especially mm. due to Nigerian culture, because there's things that I just won't never would never understand, mm. um, because I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up in that sort of um, environment. Yeah. So just down to, for example, uh, different types of foods, um, uh, ways of parenting. You know, mm. there's just different things that I would I would happily say to someone and as a Nigerian child you 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 don't you wouldn't say that like I would say how I feel mm. and I think that that's very different if you grew up within a, a Nigerian household you wouldn't necessarily be um be able to speak your truth without mm. being reprimanded for it because okay. there's mm. a very much a respect your elders kind of thing and that's a, across the board in many different cultures yeah um but yeah, I find that my relaxed upbringing doesn't um, doesn't really uh, come across lot, very yeah. well, <laughs> you know, so a bit too liberal, a bit too mouthy. <laughs> mm.
0: It's who you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know. I think we, we live and we learn, but I think that yeah. was probably the, the most... Um, the those sort of slight differences were the ones that I I dealt with the most and I I find that I I got on with my life and I got on with being a kid and just whatever it was fine but when I look back some of the situations that I was in probably that probably wasn't okay there was Mm. like things that were said to me and things that I witnessed that wasn't okay so and that but that's hindsight and that's being able to look at it in in it through the lens of today, mm. um, where you wouldn't be able to, you know, say that, disregard someone's hair and say, oh, it looks, like, it's too tough, it's too this, it's too that, it looks like a Brillo pad, or there's things that were saying to my face, like with all jovialism, mm. and it was just sort of brushed under the carpet and it's mm. just okay. Like, mm. I, I grew up, I, to, the way I explain it, the, the best way I can explain it is growing up in a, environment where I was I was okay because I was one of them nudge nudge so I wasn't like other black people so mm. I was okay but you would still say things about other ethnicities and other black people like I'm not in the room kind of thing because yeah. it's because I was raised by them so it's I'm okay kind of mm. thing right it's that that's the only real way that I can explain it yeah. and that leaves a very sort of weird taste in the mouth
0: if you know mm. what I mean, so, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So if we um, fast forward like a, a, a few years, when did you first, uh, and maybe you couldn't put a label on it at the beginning, but when did you first experience hair loss? Uh, because I guess at the beginning, maybe you didn't know that was alopecia.
2: Yeah, so um, I I will say that from a young age. I was really interested in hair. Like I was saying, it was my sort of bridge to uh, connect with people who look like me. So I was doing my hair from the age of eight. I was braiding other people's hair, earning my little mm. pocket change. Wow. Entrepreneurial <laughs> spirits right out the womb. Um, but yeah, so I was I was really interested in doing hair. I used to learn, I learned how to plait and do all these things to my hair. Um, I started a job when I left university I obviously I did a university course in art and then I decided to work in retail of obvi- the obvious as you do um and then I started to work in salon the salon industry mm. um as salon manager and I was working for a company called Aveda which is a very natural holistic con- uh, company um and I started to uh like think about What I was putting in, some into my body and onto my body, and in regards to health and beauty, and I started a beauty blog um, called Natural Bell, where I would talk about returning black women, especially returning to their natural hair and taking how to take care of it, how to look after it, and all that stuff. Um, And I was doing that from 2008 uh, successfully until around 2000 in 2012 when I became pregnant with my first child um i started to notice that i was thinning at the top of my head um mm. really unusual i was like oh that doesn't seem right it was getting itchy and inflamed i went to the doctors and straight away uh the response from the doctor was really disappointing because it was almost like they had sort of neg- um sort of racially profiled me straight as soon as i walked through the door this person is here she's black she's coming to talk about her hair it's because she relaxes it puts braids in it puts weaves in it, does this. Not knowing that I don't do any of those things because since 2008 Mm -hmm. I've been talking about how to look after your hair. Um, No other kind of research was done. I was given a topical ointment and told to go on my merry way. Um... It got worse and worse and worse. I went back a second time and they said, oh, it's your postpartum shedding. Not to worry about it. It'll, it'll even out in mm-hmm. the end. So in a year, it'll even out because that's what happens. And I was like, I obviously believe that because that does happen. And that's probably what was happening to a point. But simultaneously, I was losing my hair to unbeknownst to me, CCCA, mm-hmm. which is a form of hair loss that... Um, Not so much is known about it. Um, It's something that affects a lot of black women um, and it possibly could be triggered by hair practices, but that's not the reason that people have it. Um, And because our doctors are general practitioners, I don't expect them to know a lot about hair. But what I do expect is empathy and compassion. Um, But there wasn't really any of that. And I kind of had to do my own research. um, Because after that year, not only was my hair thinning because of postpartum shedding, but there was like patches of hair loss. And it was very, very noticeable. Um, And that's when I became really distraught about my hair loss and plus i had just had a baby so i had like postnatal depression my hair was falling out in droves it was a really depressing time when i should be having a great time because i'm a new mm-hmm. mom and like of all the things i should be stressing about it shouldn't be my hair
3: mm-hmm.
2: um so when i uh i did my i started to do my own research because it's like no one's going to help me no one's really listening to what i'm trying to say and whilst doing all this i was hiding the fact that my hair was falling out because at the time I had a blog it was quite successful I was talking about looking after your hair and I felt really fraudulent and like no one's gonna listen mm. to me talk about hair stuff when I don't have any hair. I was working in a hairdressers at the time um and my life just revolves around mater- like how I look at hair and everything so and it was it was just a really strange sort of place at that uh, place. That I was at that time. Um, so I would experiment with different things like um, extensions and wigs. Um, and then I realized that there wasn't anything that really matched my texture. So I was trying to hide my bald spots and I was like, Oh, well I need clipping extensions that are going to match that. Or I need a wig that's going to match the rest of my hair. Cause I don't want people to know because I'm mm-hmm. being sneaky. Um, and so I, that's how my, business was born I guess it was like out of necessity for myself which is so true of so many businesses that are run by black women it's that we're always kind of left out of the narrative so we have to do we have to make it ourselves otherwise Mm. it's not gonna happen Mm. um so I started to um look at different types of hair extensions and what can happen and how how we can make it actually match our hair textures i'm not saying i invented it there was it was there before that, but it wasn't people weren't sort of highlighting it as a mm. as a possibility and even today it's still very much like when we have the nhs service here and you can get wigs from the nhs mm. but they're yeah. always very eurocentric types of wigs so mm. there's um. still that kind of um there's still that disconnect where the beauty standard is just, you know, white. And yeah. everyone else sort of has to make do or, you know, sort of um, try and assimilate or, you know, go the other way. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I researched the the hair loss that I had. I found out that quite a lot of people have this form of hair loss. And when I started talking about it publicly, which wasn't until quite recently, like I'm, I'd say maybe around... 2016 mm. is when I started to talk about my hair loss journey, and that's when I was still in that headspace of, oh, it's going to be okay. I'm going to try and grow it back, and it's I'm um, just going to use this product and that product. And I was talking about all the things that I could, that I was going to try and do, and you know, I was talking about what's working, what's not working. Um, like because I'd have the hair that was healthy would grow, and it would be like, oh yeah, it's growing back, right. but it wasn't, you know. Mm. Um, so I had so I had this sort of I was talking about. That, that journey and doing my own research and finding out that so many people have um, central, centrifugal, citrical uh, alopecia it's a mouthful, um, uh, but we call it CCCA, C- yeah. and it's something that is a permanent form of hair loss. So it starts in mm. the center and it spreads slowly. It's, it's linked to autoimmune, it's also linked to thyroids, it's, it's said to be genetic, there's so many theories but not a lot of research. Um, and again, I think overall with alopecia there isn't a lot of research but especially with ccca that they're they just no one knows and it's kind of just like oh get on with it kind of thing because it's Mm -hmm. not it's not i think people tend to disregard the impact of losing your hair um and not having any control over it because i remember being like 18 21 25 and having crazy hairstyles, and like you know, I'd sh- have a really no crop, or I'd you know, have b- take it quite low and then bleach it blonde and do all these things. Um, but that was my choice. Mm. So when it becomes not your choice and your hair just falls, people will say, Oh, yeah, but you've had short hair before, or you've got a nice shaped head, you're fine. Mm. And it's like, Yeah, but you don't understand, it's more to do with the. Uh, with feeling like you don't have any control over your yeah. body or over yourself or how you how you want to present yourself to the world. Um, so I think that's where it gets sort of like um, people f- uh, fail to understand the impact of losing your hair. Um, because if any other part of your body was just randomly falling off, you'd be concerned. Yeah. But it seems <laughs> like when our hair falls out, it's like, oh, you know, it's just hair that's stop true. being so vain kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, people, when... Though, it's-
1: Sorry, for a lot of people though, it's their like part of their identity and also a bit of a security Oh yeah, blanket. most definitely. I think like it's part of I how think you it's present one of those yourself. Where, yeah,
2: you don't. People don't think about it until it happens to them. Yeah. Um, and they or someone they know, and then they realise how how it can impact them. And especially for for me personally, like because of what I was saying before about it being a way I connected with people, that. I went through a massive grieving kind of process when I started to lose my hair because I felt like, Oh, no, one's going to, I'm not going to be able to talk to people. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be anything without my hair because I was that girl. I talked about hair all the time and Mm. it was my living. It's what I did. So, you know, I went to work and I talked about hair because I was, you know, with customers and in the salon and, you know, talking about all these stuff, fun things. And then I go home and start up my computer and, Write about hair, so when I like I've started to lose my hair, I was like, What the heck am I gonna do? Like, what am I gonna Mm. even talk about? Not and not knowing, I thought I felt very bereft because I felt like I'd lost a whole community of people. Mm. Um, not knowing that actually there's another community of people who are going through exactly the same thing as Mm. I'm going through. Um, and even the people that aren't and who were still in my natural hair sort of era still with me now and they're still supporting me and they're still talking to me because at the end of the day we're 50% of women will have noticeable hair loss in their lifetime whether that's from having illness whether that is from um postpartum or even down to we're we're seeing a lot of people with hair loss at the moment due to covid Mm. um so uh, it's, and it's more of a thinning of the hair due to the infection um due to the virus sorry uh messing with how our hair grows and it okay. just sort of shocks the system and you'll notice that three to four months after you have covid or any and it's not just covid it's any kind of virus or viral infection that the hair will start to fall out thankfully it's something that does usually grow back but it is we are seeing a lot of people say talking about um, COVID and the correlation with hair loss. Um, so I think it's even more than fifty percent of people really. Yeah. Um, but I think the stigma is that, especially for women, mm-hmm. it is it's a part of our of how we're seen as attractive mm-hmm. or beautiful or whatever. Um, and and I know people say, oh, you know, but men have hair loss too, and they do, and it does affect men as well. But there are lists with. World's hottest bald man, (laughs) like in 2 magazine. They have lists. There's no list for the sexiest bald woman, and it's like the highest paid act. One of the highest paid actors in the world is The Rock, and he's a bald man. And it's like there's a difference. Like Mm -hmm. a bald man is like you know can can be seen as a sexy man. He's like you know it doesn't really it doesn't reflect particularly negatively on that person I know that you can they can be often the butt of the joke and you know bald guys whatever but it's almost like when we add that on to what the world expects of women and how we're supposed to present ourselves and look and the beauty standard as a whole it can be really depressing and really um quite harmful to how we just go about our daily life and Mm -hmm. it's why it does affect people and it's why it's hard to explain how it affects you because nothing you say comes across as not vain if you mm. to some people if you're not um if you're not kind of versed in it and understand that you know those beauty standards do matter and unfortunately as someone who was around in the the sort of n- late 90s early 2000s that's when i was a teenager and it mm. was like i've always felt like i don't fit these beauty standards anyway being a black woman being not rake thin be it, yeah. you know and now being bald I don't feel like I've, I've ever fit into that beauty standard but does that mean that that beauty standard doesn't affect me and the way I the way I think the way I act the way I um the way I think about other people it's mm-hmm. so there's just so much unlearning that we have to do when it comes to how we see people and I think that's with the advancements of social media we've been able to i think it's been quite a positive um turnaround because now we have we have a body positivity community yeah. we have an alopecia yeah. community we are in contact with those people we can we can create what we see as opposed to when i was younger i can only see what the media wanted me to see yeah, yeah. what was in um, magazines or yeah exactly that's what we live for it's like oh i saw it in the magazine i saw it on tv and that was all created by usually white rich men so we've had you know we've had that pumped into us like from a young age this is what we're supposed to look like even i would say even down to disney princesses and things like that we've always been told that it is like long hair (laughs) white skin or light skin and you know that's what's beautiful that's what. That's what. That's who gets the prince in the end. That's who. Yeah. You know. That's who finishes first. That's who gets the happily ever after in the movie. You know. And I think with social media, that ha- we have been able to slightly change that narrative um, and give people who don't look like that, who aren't perfection. Um, a chance to express themselves and to, um, to share their stories. So I think that's what's been really important, but I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You, I, I wanted to actually talk about that because it's, it's very true what you said, like for men, if when you get older, you lose your hair, it's, it just happened, you know, it's one of those things. So, okay, just people accept it just because yeah, we're yeah. men um, on the other side. It's true that hair and I would say femininity is very connected. Like from a young age, when you get like girls' toys, you know, it's a Barbie with long hair, it's a doll, and you learn how to brush the hair of your doll. And Mm -hmm. like, it's it's really part of the, um, yeah, like when you're a little girl, it's very a central part of the thing it's like oh we are going out for dinner or for a wedding so we're gonna do your hair and and, mm. and, and it's a central part of yeah i think the the feminist culture and stuff like that that's yeah. what the media is telling us at least and that's the image that we are getting from the beauty industry and and stuff and yeah i can imagine that it's interesting also because it happened to you when you were an adult, when I think if we, it happened to you when you were like a child or a teenager, maybe the the experience could be different in terms of self-confidence, yeah. you know, when you're building your personality and things like that. But, but even as an adult, I'm sure, I mean, it must have been affecting your your confidence as a, as a woman, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that one of the most, it definitely affected and still does because I say that I said that in 2016 is when I started to talk about it, but I was still hiding it. So I was talking Mm -hmm. about it. So people knew that was happening under the wigs and the extensions and the wigs, but I was still hiding it. Um, And it got to the point where I was like, obsessed and self-conscious about oh if I put it in this style people are going to see that there's this and there's that I would be if I had my hair in a ponytail you could see that it was thinning in the middle I'd always have to wear a certain hairstyle for Mm. no one to notice or wear a wig and then it became like oh can people see the wig can people see this and it's it just became a whole sort of process that became very tiresome and then when I was pregnant with my second child I um I just, I knew that the postpartum shedding would start up again mm-hmm. and that I would have to go through that whole, my hair falling out excessively, not just mm-hmm. gradually like it does with um, CCCA. And I just thought, i goes, I can't go for it again. I can't do it again. So, and I want to enjoy, th- this is going to be the last baby. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to actually enjoy this time in my life because it's going to be the last time it happens um hopefully um and so i was literally i said oh you know i'm just going to i'm just going to cut it off and my partner mm. was like thank god because it's you're really you stress about it so much it's just literally mm. all you think about and all you talk about you just need to either you need to get rid of it because mm. you're not happy and i was like yeah i know so i went to the where i worked at the time and they cut it off for me and as soon as i had done it i took a picture and then I put hat on, and I was like, and I, cut, I still continue to cover it up. And it's only until very recently that I feel actually feel better without a wig than I do with a wig. And that, but it's been a long process. I cut my, I shaved my hair and have not grown hair back since two thousand and eighteen. And it's only I would say since during the pandemic and and after that I feel actually better. And that I feel like no, this is me. I feel confident. I still wear wigs, but I use them not as a crutch, but as a accessory, mm-hmm. and just to go with all my other personalities. So I just use it to, you know, like a coat, like a pair yeah. of earrings, instead of actually holding onto it like it's a lifeline. Hmm. Um, and I think that that is what has that has been such a long process. And it's like I think I didn't just wake up one morning and feel confident and feel feminine i just didn't i used to when i first shaved off my head i i almost completely changed my style because i'm a very girly girl let's say um and i like dresses and i like feminine things or or what is what people would assume is a feminine thing i don't really care but it's like I felt like I couldn't wear dresses because I didn't have any hair and I felt like I didn't match Mm. or I was just looked I just felt I looked weird and odd and like because in my mind pretty girls don't have pretty girls have hair that's what Mm. I've been told my whole life that pretty girls have hair and that women have and women have long hair and because I've spent so long so long um going back to natural and overcoming that kind of stigma because there's also that to deal with, like texturism. And we, as black women especially, it's like we have to learn to love our hair again from being told that we have to straighten it, relax it, put weaves in it. So there was that. So I had gotten to the point where I absolutely loved my hair and was accepting my hair and then for it to all fall out. And I have to do this self-love thing all over again. And I am like, it's tiring, reflecting Mm. on yourself constantly to try and not have the world's views impact you, you know? And it's like, and I mean, it's not like every day I look in the mirror and think you look amazing, but it's more days than it's not now, because it used to be a point where I just wouldn't look in the mirror and I just hated it. I just hated not having hair. And it's a, and you know, I, do, I think I felt more conscious of it than other people. I think mean, more, more, the more, most negativity that I've ever gotten about my hair or lack of it is online as opposed to in real life. Like people in real life aren't, or in general, people aren't awful. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't really get that whole, you know, I didn't, I don't, I get stared at sometimes, but I think it's more of a sympathetic or it's a, I want curiosity as yeah. opposed to anything else because they're like, why, why is she bald? Like, properly bald. Why, why mm. does she not have any hair? And then, and then sometimes I think people just assume and diagnose you with whatever they want to diagnose you with. Um, yeah. And then they see you with kids, and I get sympathetic looks like, oh, like she's got long left, and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just I was glad. wondering if you yeah. get that kind of <laughs> cancer,
1: like, yeah, so I, I have guess, had like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've had that a lot, and I find it. I don't find it offensive to me personally. I just find it like, why would you ask that? Like, who's gonna, who wants to talk about that? Like, who wants to talk about their health like that to a complete stranger? Like, just randomly coming up to you and talking about cancer is just a very strange thing to do. (laughs) And I've had it happen to me twice, and it's just very odd. Um, But yeah, I just think. I think now with everything that's happened in recent months, uh, with alopecia being in the news, people are a little bit. People realise what it is and they understand yeah. a bit more what it is. Um, so when you when you see someone, you do, that's not automatically their first thought. I would hope now, um, which is I think is a really important turning point, because especially before when we were talking about body positivity, I think sometimes hair is missed out on that because mm. when we think about the body we think about you know curves and we think about you know you plus size sure. or we think about you know not fat shaming people or not doing this not doing that it's like we don't think about that overall and I think that is something that's important um and also the the hair industry itself is very focused on hair loss but it's very focused on hair loss as in as it being a problem and we mm. that and something that we need to fix oh. So we have a lot of elixirs and and grow your hair back and do this and do that and it's almost like that is what the focus is on when we look at uh, hair ads and representation. We see very thick, luscious, beautiful hair that more than I'd say more than fifty percent of us do not have yeah. um, being showed to us. Or we see if you do have hair loss, it's a problem. Yeah. So you need to fix it and you need to try this product to. F- Plump your hair or you need to find this product to uh, to alleviate this, you need to put this oil on it, try this holistic um, concoction, try this now tablet um, and it's just a lot of, uh, there's no sort of acceptance of what is and I think if we were to see in the adverts people with thinning hair, with patches but still being represented represented as worthy of being in an ad campaign, then maybe there wouldn't be that sort of stigma for hair loss, and it wouldn't when it happened when or if it ever happened to you, you wouldn't feel as traumatized by it. Mm. Um, because I just find it odd that I've worked in the hair industry since uh, twenty I want to say twenty ten I think that's when I started working in the hairdresser, and I every day someone would come in with a hair issue. Every mm. day someone would have thinning hair and we'd have ladies who'd come in and they'd get their blow dry and everything and they just have extremely fine hair or we'd get older ladies who would have like bald patches and things like that and it was a daily occurrence it wasn't unusual for someone to be coming into the salon with Mm. not perfect hair people have thin hair people have weak hair people have damaged hair um and that's like actually the that's actually the majority it's not that it it, yeah. it's weird that you yeah. have this amazing hair you are like a you're like a peacock it's like <laughs> it's amazing but it's not every day it's not everyone's you know thing um and there's so many different forms of alopecia as well I think that people tend to uh get very confused about what alopecia is and what and more importantly what it isn't and I think I, think I was um, going to ask you
1: about that because I I keep taking notes, I've got so many things to ask you, but like I thought that alopecia, you got through stress and I that was kind of, I mean, I don't know anything about alopecia, I admit it, but that was kind of the only thing I thought I knew was that if you were stressed, like I've seen two influencers talk about it and having like bold patches and then it grows back and there's this like, oh, I took these pills and look at how wonderful it is, it's all back to normal. I've now got a healthy lifestyle. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, so that's what I kind of thought it was. So, obviously, there's different types yeah. of Alope- alopecia. Alopecia and-, and
2: stress actually hasn't been proven. It hasn't oh, been proven okay. that alopecia is caused by stress. Okay. It definitely can be a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you're talking about is alopecia areata, which is actually an autoimmune um, uh, form of alopecia where okay. you get coin-sized um, yeah. Yeah. patches here there and everywhere and they do come and go the the follicle isn't dead so hair can grow back and again because of the lack of research we don't really know exactly why it happens Mm -hmm. but then we have different forms of alopecia so we have alopecia univalis which is um uh, i do believe that this i get it confused but there's one called univalis and one called totalis so univalis is the hair and so the whole head you lose all the hair. Mm. All the mm. hair on the head is lost. You uh, And you may lose your brows and lashes. Um, and that's called univ- uh, alopecia unival- la- univalis. And then we have alopecia totalis, where you lose absolutely every single hair on your body. Mm. So we're talking underarm hair, pubic hair, nose hair. Every hair is gone. Um, and that's another... Again, it's it's in the same family as alopecia areata because the hair follicles are not dead, and the hair can miraculously grow back. It's been known to like there are people out there who've had who've lost all their hair, and then it's just with no no interfering or anything, and it's grown back. Um, a lot of the treatments out there for those forms of alopecia are something that you have to take for a lifetime if you mm. want it to work. So there's a new drug on the market um well it's not a new drug it was used for um it's used for arthritis but they found that if you take it it can grow back and stimulate the hair again Mm. um but you have to continue to take it the same with the the injections into the scalp you have to continue to take these things so um it can be really you know uh quite a big i think a lot of people do try it people try everything but it's the long run of it where you have to sort of kind of come to terms with the fact that it's this uh, condition it will just happen and there's not much we can do about it if it happens Um, there's not, my form of alopecia is a permanent scarring form of alopecia so my hair will eventually, it may take many many years but eventually it will just completely just be gone Mm -hmm. um, or very thin so I just decided to Pit it at the post and, you know, preempt the inevitable and just shave it off. But if yeah. I was to grow out my hair, there would be, I'd have sides and stuff. There would just be, it would be very thin. And then I'd have a patch in the middle that would spread gradually. Hmm. Um, but then there are other forms of alopecia, which still count as alopecia, like traction alopecia, which is the type of alopecia that you get from uh, tension on the hair. So mm. high ponytails, weaves, wigs, different things like that, that cause damage to the um, to the follicle and the mm. hair will fall out. Yeah. Um, and this, if you treat it early enough, this can be curable, but this can cause permanent and lead on to permanent um, hair loss. So there's that form of alopecia. And then even... Um, even losing your hair through chemotherapy is a form of alopecia because alopecia as a word just means hair loss it's just the medical term for hair loss so it doesn't matter what the reason is you're still you still have a form of alopecia um so it's just an umbrella term for any type of medical hair loss so it can be from traction it can be a uh, trichotillomania where you pull hair pulling where you pull the hair out yourself um mm. it's still alopecia um so yeah there's so many different forms there's frontal fibrosing alopecia which um just very strangely only affects from ear to ear and in the brows um so you would have completely clean up until here and then hair and mm. that's something that is becoming quite common um, it's with women going through menopause, um, but I'm finding, I'm seeing quite a lot of younger women as well that is happening to, so, um, yeah, there's so many different forms, and so little is known about them, and so little research is being done, um, to try and, I don't necessarily think that it's particularly, like, looking for a cure, because I, just because I'm personally beyond that now, my, my, think just having answers is just a really great place to start like why is this happening i think the why is more important to the how we can fix it i want to know the why it happened um and then you can sort of go from there but sort of throwing medicine at it and you know trying to cure it and this industry is booming this curing industry is booming booming because it's like worth billions of billions Mm. of pounds um but no one's talking about the emotional aspect of losing your hair. No one's talking about the the way that we're diagnosed and the way that most people see alopecia as because it's not life-threatening that we don't need to care about it, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's and not the, that bad. It could and, be worse. And yeah. Exactly. And I think that especially when we've recently had people um, taking their life due to alopecia and due to the bullying... Of it it is life-threatening because yeah. at the end of the day pe- children especially are are very likely to have alopecia areata univalis or totalis from a very young age and it's it takes a very strong character to be that young and it have have it not affect them and unfortunately re- very recently a young girl um, took her life and it's like this uh, we it's only now that you're starting to realize no it is serious and it can affect people and how they see themselves and you know and that just that goes on to like how other people treat you and bullying and things like that and i think for children Mm -hmm. it would be so i i i connect with so many people who are sort of outgoing because i'm online And so I'm connecting with other people who have an online presence or who will post. If you're going to post a picture of yourself bald online, you'll probably have that slight level of confidence. But there are so many people out there that maybe don't do that or hide away or Mm. don't talk about it. So there's still lots of work to be done in that area. But things like Alopecia UK, the charity... And, um, there's so many focus groups and people trying to help the emotional side, which I think is really important. What I would have loved when I went to the doctors was for the doctor, just to be honest and say, there's probably nothing I can do about your hair loss because we don't know why you're losing your hair, but here is some emotional support Mm. for what you may go through, you know? So it's almost like, I would rather. I don't want tablets. I want therapy. So you know, yeah. I just. I would like some emotional support for what I'm gonna be. What I'm gonna be going through, without having to feel like I'm overreacting or that it's not that serious and it's not that deep. And for some people, it isn't. You know. No, but but I think for a majority like, of it is.
0: I think, like you said, also before, is it's about changing the narrative as a society. It's about. Yeah why yeah it's we need to stop attaching hair loss with something wrong there is something wrong with you like right? this is the narrative that should be uh, should be stopped because this is what ultimately is causing the the pain the emotional pain uh, yeah. because we attach so much importance to our hair because of a uh, Society reason in a way, and and if we could detach those two things, and like you said before, I, and it's very interesting what you said about when we talk about body positivity, we usually talk about more like the shape of the body, and yeah, we never hear about um, hellos which which I mean, yeah, it's it's exactly the same, it's it's another form, and it should be included in, into the body positivity chatter. Yeah, it's still chatter. A it's very,
2: representation. Yeah. It's still a physical a physical difference that isn't mm-hmm. technically the norm and i find that um yeah i find that the the, the movement as a whole doesn't really include hair loss or mm. it's kind of forgotten i think it's changing slightly now um but again that's with due to recent events and the fact yeah. that now it's in the headlines and people are talking about it, i think the the google rate of alopecia after the oscars went up tenfold mm. um and people began to talk about it, and I think that's what was the most important thing that came out of that um, that whole situation. Sure. It's like um, was that fact that people were talking about alopecia, regardless of how you feel about the incident. Yeah. People are now talking about alopecia, and I think that is something that can only really be, you know, applauded because that's what we that's what we need. We need people to talk about it. It's unfortunate that it took that for people to talk. Um, but it's now the conversation is happening yeah. and it's a part of our everyday language and what we what we're now talking about is but and it's being included in these spaces when we're talking about diversity and we're talking about inclusion and we're talking about positivity and body image um and changing beauty standards because w- as as time goes on we're continuously being going to be bombarded with what what the what the ideal what the ideal is um and we have that all the time we we like i said before about being a child of the the 90s and the early 2000s is that we were told what to what what was beautiful Mm -hmm. and we are still being told that we can we can create more and if you are and if you are of the mind to do that you can avoid seeing no shade, but the Kardashians everywhere. Mm. You can avoid yeah. seeing celebrities everywhere if you were to cur- curate what you looked at and just sort of bl- turn a blind eye to what you didn't really, what doesn't benefit you. Yeah. But there are so many uh, impressionable young people who continuously see the same images over and over again. And with the, especially with social media and the algorithm is so, especially, f- say, for example, TikTok, the algorithm is so precise that you like one or two videos yeah. on a certain body type, that's mm. all you'll see. Yeah. So all you'll see, that, that will be perpetuated constantly. Um, same with young young boys, Will if you like a, a girl's picture or whatever, that's all you'll see. And you'll think that that's what's normal, that's what a girl's supposed to look like. This is what femininity is, this is what womanhood is, this is what this is. And I think whereas we can say oh social media has been so important it also has that flip side where if if you haven't got the the sense of mind to sort of filter Mm -hmm. and and uh try and be diverse in ourselves because i think that's where it starts because um i think what's popular is we make things popular does it make sense like we're the ones who are tapping and liking and things like that so when I say oh there's no representation for I remember I'll take it back sorry to be confusing but I remember when I first early on in my career and I was talking about um in the beauty industry I was saying there aren't any um there aren't enough shades for darker skin tones so Mm. Uh, all these brands, they're bringing out this was before Fenty and before all that mm. we we didn't have enough shades um, we'd go into uh, the drugstore and we wouldn't have enough um, it would be like white,
1: beige dark brown, that's it wow. that's, well but also there was put... like 15 white, one yeah. beige maybe one brown and like that's yeah. your choice so yeah exactly
2: and when we were talking about that when we were ta- when we were talking about that with brands um and stockists and things like that they would say well it doesn't sell we've tried to do um we've tried to set to, to put the darker shades in the sh- on the sh- on the shelves and they don't sell and it's like but they haven't tried to market it because yeah. we can only we can only we can only be what we can see so if yeah. we haven't if we can't see it then how are we supposed to be able to purchase it and to make it viable for you as a business to then stock and be able to make money from? Because at the end of the day, capitalism. But at, at, in the same breath, it's almost like we as a society also are are, are making these trends. So if we're not actually liking the the the. The people who don't look like us. So if I'm on, if I'm on Instagram, and then someone else who looks more, who has long hair, and we're but we're posting the same content, and someone is gonna like the person who looks more ideal. Then whose fault is that? Is that the brand's fault that the the most their most popular post was someone who overall looks like how you're supposed to look, or? Is it the thought of the, those of us need to change um, our, you know, how we think and what we think of beauty and what we think of, you know, um, how we think societally to be able to change that? Because the algorithm is one thing, but we actually control it. The algorithm doesn't work if people don't do yeah. the liking and the commenting and things like that. So I think yeah, it's I think like
0: it's, a two No, yeah, it's, it's having the curiosity to look outside of what you're being shown. It's, yes. yeah the algorithm is gonna or, or the tv you know for that sake or the newspaper or showing you what the majority of people want to see based on the data that they have but it doesn't yes. mean that you cannot make your own research and look outside of the box to see also what's out there you don't have to yeah. stay trapped into this this yeah this is what we present to you it's it's all about yeah. the curiosity also what you're saying is interesting i i, I remember Quite recently, seeing a, a post on Instagram about, um, I think it was in the U.S., like in the supermarket, like Target or Walmart, selling um, how do you say in English pastures, when you cut yourself, yeah. uh, like different yeah. different shades of color. And yeah. I didn't know that existed before. But yeah, the reason it's probably it's probably been out there for years. But the reason I don't know it exists is because I've never seen an advert on TV about it. Also. Every time I see the advert on TV, so. it's the beige one that's going to fit me. And I've never yeah. seen... Uh, you see that, you see the princess one, you see the dinosaur one for the kids, but yeah, you don't see yeah. the other shades that they're creating. And yeah, if you don't know, you don't yeah. know. You can't... You know. The
2: first time I actually saw that was in a, a TV show that we that aired here a couple of years ago. I think it's called Knots and Crosses or something. It's based on a book. Hmm. Um, and it's about a dystopian sort of future... Where the roles have been re- the race roles have been reversed. Mm-hmm. So, um, so say we had like today how black people are perceived. It was the other way around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the 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 royalty within that um, that world were um, black people and black people were celebrated and whatnot. And there was just one scene where the they showed a, a guy's hand and he was just doing something and he had on a brown plaster, and it was just so it was so like impactful in that small little moment in the show it just goes to show what we normalize because mm. that stood out to me because I'd never yeah. again I'd never seen that before like he had on a brown plaster I've always worn beige plasters like mm. from from childhood it's just been yeah. a beige plaster I wouldn't think it's only recently I like you say when I went into uh, a supermarket and I saw that they had brown plasters and I was like oh I'm getting them and then I was like, and it only works for me because I'm married to a white man and my children are, are mixed race. Mm. So it's, but I'm I'm putting those brown plasters on everybody in the house because <laughs> I've had to deal with this my whole life. So now you yeah. can have a brown plaster. <laughs> um, but it's almost like, it's true. You can't, if you, if we don't know it's there, we can't really, we can't use it. No, yeah. Um, and are they, do they do these things on purpose so that we don't see them and then they can have an excuse not to produce them? I don't know. But I think, yeah, I think it's definitely about a two way street in regards to um facilitating change
3: yeah
2: um in the way especially within representation and how we um and how we're seen and how we um and what we see, yeah, so that's why I find that's why I try my hardest and have been sort of fighting for representation within the alopecia community, so that we are seeing. In beauty spaces especially and in hair spaces that the people who are losing their hair are still being you know are still being represented because at the end of the day we still want to feel beautiful and also not everyone with hair loss has no hair some people still have thinning hair or patches or their hair grows back and then they lose it again and to feel like that's not a part of what we go through in life is just very dismissive. Mm. Um, so that's why I think I when I see an advert, I want to see someone who not every day they have to have big, beautiful hair. It yeah. can be, you know, a re- and I feel, I feel like even within the modeling industry, within all these industries, we need to see what we all look like, you <laughs> know, because that percentage is very high and it's like, Especially for, and when we look at beauty and when we look at the hair industry, it's direct, it's for women, really. Mm. Yeah. When we look at it, it's all sort of directed towards women. Um. When I go into the, even down to just having a shaved head, when I go into the shop to look at products for shaved heads, I can't find anything for women. So mm. I can't find Everything has a a pit ball on it, or a or a handlebar moustache, yeah. or it's all very barber male orientated. Yeah. It's all very dark. It's like I want something in the girls section. I don't want to have to use a product that I would use on my legs, on my yeah. head, you know. But yeah. that's really the only option, and we don't have a lot of. And if we're if we're going to focus on scalp care, we don't have a lot of scalp care products that are for the scalp that bald people could also use. I feel like. If you're bald, it's always very masculine and manly. Yeah. Hence, why what we said earlier about that male baldness is normalised and female baldness is stigmatised. Um, and that just and that's on all levels because we we don't go into the shops and see ourselves. We don't see ourselves
1: there. So, you know, yeah. I'd never thought of that before. Oh yeah,
0: it's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But obviously, you don't unless you experience things yeah. like that. You don't. Why would you think of it like it's?
0: Yeah
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's very it's very like anything to do with like shaving or barbering or clothes like even when i look for um a razor to like a skull mm. razor to shave my head it's all very like gillette man yeah. like i'm Tuff. a man and i shave yeah. my hair and it's like <laughs> yeah, i don't really want to buy it because I like I don't I don't want that. I want can't make it pink. Like I just I don't know. Like make it rose gold or something. Put a bit of sparkle on it. I don't need this kind of, you know, yeah. I just want or or even if even if it's gender neutral, like yeah. come on, we can we can do that now too. But yeah. like, everything is very geared towards like masculinity and that just puts another emphasis on women who 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 are bald. Uh, being defeminized and not being feminine because mm. we have to shop at those in that area. And mm. it's like, but I'm a, I'm a girl. And, you know, I often get misgendered when I'm not dressed up, I guess, when I've mm. not got my makeup on and when I'm wearing a hoodie and I'm going to the supermarket. Like, the, the reason that I know that I've been misgendered is because security guards follow me around the shop when i'm uh, when i'm cuz they think i look like a little black boy and they think i'm up to no good so there's so many different levels to mm. that kind of discrimination cuz now it's like not only have you misgendered me but you're also racially profiling me yeah. um and it's just a very strange sort of uh parallel i've gone to the point where i've actually exposed my bra to a security guard before i was in a very bad mood but I, he was it's was just like looking at him i was like I'm not a boy. Da, 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 da. No, he he, just a bit shocked and walked away. I think he, it was undeserved. To be fair, <laughs> I, I, took I know, it but, like,
3: I don't
1: know. But. but even if you were a <laughs> young black a boy reason. wearing a hoodie, you shouldn't be followed around a store thinking exactly, that you're going to be causing exactly right. trouble. Exactly. So it's whether you're a boy or not a boy, that still shouldn't happen. So
2: yeah. yeah, I just I think that it's just such a it's such a strange sort of thing because. Before losing my hair, I would never have cared if anyone thought I was a boy or a girl or whatever. I wouldn't care. Like, why do I care? Um, but I, I just felt really... Because I think thought I looked like a boy, mm. because I didn't have my hair and I thought I looked like a boy, I was very conscious of when I would be misgendered by other people and it just made me feel like crap the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that, and it's still, and it's still something that triggers me. I've yeah. recently um, been on TikTok. I've been on TikTok for about a year, and that the thing with TikTok is, it's a very unusual platform mm-hmm. where you can end up on the wrong side of it. Mm-hmm. So your video can go viral for whatever reason, and mm-hmm. random people will start commenting. And there was a point um, earlier in the year where one of my videos went viral for me. Um, because I put makeup on my scalp and I was just showing how I do that because I'm a content creator and that's what we do. We just show people how to do random stuff. Mm. And um, and I was doing that and then it was fine. It went viral and it was fine and people were commenting, being very pleasant, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it just got to the wrong side of TikTok and it was just awful. Like the comments were just disgusting and I've never... I've never seen anything like it. Mm. I've never been trolled so mercifully in my mercilessly in my life. Like, do you have cancer? Um, but in a really rude way, not mm. not in, not asking yeah. in a nice way. Uh, you look like the Jada thing. It was around that time, so mm. I think that's what sort of spurred it. Everyone making reference to that, making reference to Will Smith saying that I looked like um, is it Mace Windu? I don't watch Star Wars, but Basically, uh, Samuel Jackson and all this stuff, and I thought, this—if I woke up, if this was me, if this was happening to me in 2016 when I first started to talk about my hair loss, I wouldn't have ever talked about it again. So it's about how who, who, who you are in that moment dictates to whether what you can take in life. Because I find that if I was any weaker than i not weaker any more sensitive i guess about my condition in that moment that could have definitely been sent me into very hard depression because Mm -hmm. and i don't think people genuinely think about the things that they say online um and how they can and how it can be like prescribed i think I don't know, It's just it was just a very odd, weird yeah, time in my life. I just, um, yeah, it was just very odd, strange, mm. period. But that kind of trolling really made it clear to me that things still need to change. There's still a yeah. lot of work that needs to be done.
1: Um, so, as we're yeah. talking about content creation, I've got to point out, I love your Instagram. I love that you're wearing, yeah. like, cute underwear and you're sexy and flirty and fun and, like... It's almost like I don't I don't know how to word this. It's not that I don't notice that you're bold. Obviously, I see that. But, like, I see everything else about you. And it's just, I love how, yeah, like, sexy and fun and flirty you are. And it's, you know, it's not, like, a sad page. Like, oh, look at me. Boo-boo. Like, boo-hoo. It's, like, yeah. empowering and strong. And I love that about your Instagram. Like, it's a very inspirational. Like, wow, she's gorgeous. Like, with or without. Like, when you wear a wig or when you don't, I'm, like, she's hot. Like... <laughs> I love that you do that. <laughs> I try and I think
2: I try to make that a conscious kind of thing to not be woe is me ab- about it to a point. I think that there are some, I feel like I'm just genuinely trying to be very honest about how I'm feeling at yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my Instagram over the last year, year, two years reflects how I, wow. I how I see myself now. So I do tend to feel a lot more positive about myself and you know and how I look and I and I just try to show that being bald doesn't mean that you have to lose your identity and my identity was tied up massively in my hair and I had to learn to understand who I was without it Mm -hmm. um and funnily enough I'm still the same person so (laughs) it's almost like you have but that's a journey that everyone has to take and I find that Being online and sort of sharing that helps other people to kind of, um, I guess, sort of see that you can be whoever you want to be, regardless. Like there are there are so many people with alopecia who will never be confident enough to wear their not wear a wig Mm -hmm. or to go out without a wig on and things like that, and that's fine as well because that's the that's the journey. That's a part of the journey. You can get to the point where. You can accept your hair loss for you, but you don't have to... If you feel more confident in a wig, wear a wig. That's
0: yeah.
2: absolutely fine. There's there's no, there's nothing where you should feel that you have to...
0: It's not right or
2: wrong. You ...have to do this, you know? But I think showing people that you can still be empowered and you can use wigs as an accessory as opposed to a crutch is really important and it's an important part of the narrative um, for people to see that, you know... And I, I get so many messages from women who the first thing they always say, because I do a lot of like lingerie stuff and things like that. And then some people are like, why are you doing that? And it goes, you don't understand that the most, the number one thing that people talk about when women talk about when they first lose their hair is like, I don't feel sexy anymore. I don't feel beautiful. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I just don't feel like myself. And that is like one of the most um, common things issues like not only just the lack that the physical lack of hair it's the fact that how you feel that you aren't feminine anymore because you and and it comes as a shock to a lot of women because you don't realize how wrapped up we are in that beauty standard um and how you want to feel beautiful for yourself and it's not anything to do with men it's not anything to do with you know arousals or anything like that it's to do with feeling beautiful and feeling sexy within yourself and I think that's why I try and show that actually you can still be this way it doesn't matter hair doesn't matter it's Mm. just your body size doesn't matter your shape doesn't matter it's all about you know being who you want to be it's like I'm one year shy of 40 I have two children I'm literally like on there in my pants and I don't care it's like whatever I love
3: it
2: (laughs) you have to you have to if 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 not me then who like we all we all have to do what we do to feel a certain way and if it helps someone to feel like confident to not necessarily do what I do but confident just to maybe go on the school run without your wig on or to you know, tell a work colleague that you have alopecia. There's these tiny little wins that you that people can do, and they can feel yeah. confidence from, and that can derive from something that you post. Mm. So I think that that's something that I I will. That's why I continue to do it because social media as a whole and the content creation as a whole can be very like stressful in regards to engagement and the algorithm <laughs> and all these things. And it's like oh, but it. We need to come back to the fact that it's the Instagram especially is about community and a lot of people have been on there for so long harboring that kind of community that it that it is still important to to sort of crack on and keep going I guess I think I wake up every day and want to stop (laughs) and think oh if I have to take another selfie I'm I'm gonna get mad but it's like it's more than just the selfie when yeah. you're helping people to sort of be their authentic selves and feel happy with how they look and how they feel and I think yeah. it can come down to perhaps feeling like it's I guess I get a lot of people sometimes like oh it's just so it's not important like who cares and I think beauty and hair it is important to a lot of people and I don't think it should be disregarded I think it's become very capitalist but when we are like in life especially with women when we go into in in life when we have recessions when we have pandemics when we have all these things happen the thing that the sales that boost are the sales of lipstick Mm. the sales of hair things the sales of hair bubbles like all these tiny little things that make you feel better about yourself especially as a woman it's like the sale of lipstick goes up every single recession because it's that mini burst of for you-ness that Mm. it just there's something about it it just sort of boosts you up and makes you feel better so I would never ever as a whole disregard the beauty industry I think it's such an important um an important industry to be a part of and I think, especially, I think people have started to realize that, especially in the UK, due to the pandemic, um, because we have a thing called the British high street, and the beauty industry and the salons is what makes it. It's it's built up. Our, our high street is phone shops and hairdressers. So if we didn't exist, there wouldn't the the, uh, the economy would take a huge knock. And I think that was proven during the pandemic when you know we we weren't able to go and have our hair done or do these things. And it was a big loss to the economy. And I think that the British beauty council and all these different um, uh, communities came together to talk to the government, to make sure that we were included because there was a point where it was was all rooted in sexism, but there was a point where they opened the barbers but they didn't open the hairdressers. Mm. And we were like, what's going on? (laughs) Like you, you can go and have a beard trim, but you couldn't get your eyelashes done during mm. the pandemic. I was like, we either can't do anything, or we can do it all. Like you can't. Like what is what is more important about a beard trim and a haircut than about um, a haircut for a woman, uh, highlights or whatever? What was the reason for that? I
1: guess. Done. I guess was it because men's hair because it's generally shorter grows faster therefore it needs to be chopped. Was there any kind of that? No, what, it was just it purely, yeah, whatever, re-
0: whatever reason so it they came up with is bullshit. It's an excuse. Yeah. That's the only yeah.
1: reason I could like logically think of like okay, typically men have shorter it hair no therefore sense. like <laughs> no, there was none of that. They it purely was just... just forgot
2: about women and how and what the industry as a whole like because it was it was simply a policy that was like oh i am most of the people making these decisions and making these policies were men and boris johnson so it was like uh, and it's like what do you care you do not even cut your hair boris but mm. you know <laughs> that, that's the policy that they decided to make and um it it was just it was it was just that the the hair industry female beauty and female um contribution to the economy was kind of forgotten yeah. and it's like we make up a huge part of the of entrepreneurs. We make up a huge. The beauty industry brings in so much money into this country. Um, it's probably that it's probably one of the only um, industries that doesn't struggle to perform. As, especially during the pandemic, like once we were able to go back out and get outside and do things, the first thing a lot of women wanted to do was get their nails done, get their hair done, get their eyebrows done, get their lashes done, do all these things. And it's like I know it seems frivolous to you, but it's actually the cornerstone of like womanhood, I guess. Mm-hmm. We yeah. we do these things not just we do these things for us. It's not just necessarily for an outward thing. If when we look good, we feel good, um, and I think that's been. Such, I think, over the last year or so, people have started to realise that this is an important. We are an important part of the the narrative when it comes to the economy, and especially in the UK. Um, yeah, so hopefully that will continue, but yeah. we shall see.
0: So, before we wrap it up, and as we are talking about that, can you tell us a little bit more about your wig business? And you you explained before why you started. It was for yourself uh, at the beginning but can you tell us a little bit about the evolution of the business for the past like 10 years and and yeah
2: yeah well it's not evolved as much as I think people tend to think it's very much like a case of I needed something for myself hmm. I started to share it it was very organic it's always been an organic business um I started to share my my own wigs. people like oh how wh- how did you do this to your hair blah 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 because I was a content creator then so people are like oh I'd like one I want one and I was like oh no I don't make them for people like oh I'll just mm-hmm. do it for myself and I did I said that for about a year yeah. and then my partner was like why are you turning down money just make them the wig <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you, when did you become rich like make, make it for her <laughs> and then so I made it for one person and I made it for another person and another person and then within a year, it kind of snowballed into an actual business with no, I had no plans to mm-hmm. make a business out of making wigs or even doing hair. Um, I worked in the hair industry, but I worked uh, in the capacity as a uh, front of house and, um, you know, salon management. So yes. I, wasn't nece- I wasn't doing hair on a day to day basis. It was a passion, but it wasn't something that I was continuously doing. I tent and I think wigs is probably as far as I can go with you know social interaction with people I get very tired very easily and I don't and and being a hairdresser is a very social Social kind of um it's a very social thing you have to be on all the time and it can be very draining and I find that we as especially as um women we tell our hairdresser everything (laughs) and it can be like you have to sort of like let it either not really sink in or deflect, and I'm a very like empathetic person, so I would be there talking to you for hours about your life, and I'll be like, "I'm so sorry, here, take all my money, come and stay at my house." Like, I just, uh, I
3: can't.
2: So <laughs> I had to put sort of a wall between that, and it's um because even when I used to just work on reception, people would they'd be like oh where's Gina where's Gina like I need to tell her this that the other I was like oh my god I've got to run away because just upset you're just obsessed with me (laughs) but no um I just started it just very organically started to grow um and I learned by myself I just learned from um doing small courses here and there there was never any like decision making in the process it just very much happened organically mm. and I I I hope I owe a lot of it to already having a, a social media presence online at the time so people knew about it and then word of mouth so I started the business simply for black women who want who need hair replacement services so need extensions or wigs that look like their hair um I'm very much um invested in people looking like their authentic selves so Mm. I only create textures that look like our hair um and that was my point of difference because no one else was really doing that um when we think about weaves and wigs we think about like you know Naomi Campbell style, long, luscious, like, and that is a vibe, and that's a, that's a certain aesthetic, and we like that. But my whole vibe is that we create stuff that looks like Afro black textured hair, mm. um, and I think that just really at the t- I think timing and at that time it just sort of caught on, and people were really interested and wanted that and it was and I if I needed it at the time other people also needed it of course yeah and that's kind of like how it snowballed and since then I've done um a couple of workshops where I've taught people how to make the wigs I've we've for some reason I don't know how or why but it, we were on um, a TV show, um, American Gods, where they um, used some of the hair pieces and we've done quite a bit of stage work, so Frilla Alive, and something at the Young Vic, and I can't remember the name of the show, but it was a, like a, a play, uh, a black play um, that came over here. Um, just just prior to the pandemic, so it got cut short. But we've done quite a few little bits like that, and editorials. So, Mm. and again, this has all been word of mouth and organic, so it hasn't been something that I've really even had to push. It's all come touch wood very easily and very simply, which is, I guess, when you get to... Because I have two children it's like perfect for me because I
3: hmm.
2: not that I don't want to work hard and I, I guess that old adage where they say oh I didn't want a nine to five but now I work 24 7 Is kind of it is true like you don't you don't I don't want to work for anybody and then I thought oh this is going to be so much easier but it's really so much more that I have to do but it's almost like I try and be I I've, tr- I've gotten a much better work-life balance now and I think that's that's what drives me what's important to me is being able to work for myself and be able to create something that's a passion as opposed to feeling like work when it feels like work I kind of feel like I don't want to do it anymore yeah, yeah. um and you know and, and that doesn't mean it has it's not hard it just means it doesn't I'm even when I'm working hard it still feels like I'm working towards an end that is you know uh, a mission mm-hmm. i guess and that has always been to to support black women during their hair loss journey um and that's still the mission today regardless of whether celebrities wear the hair or whether it's in a tv show or whether it's on a stage show the underlying sort of um essence of it is that it's about me sharing what I know and helping my community I guess and yeah. I think that's the and I, I think that's how it's been able to sustain through a pandemic. Uh, through you know ups and downs of supply issues and all sorts of things it's just been a crazy ride but it seems to have continued to work out and I think mostly due to the fact that I'm living this journey along with the people who are purchasing from me. So mm-hmm. I get so many emails from women who are like, oh, I've got hair loss and, and it's like, yeah, same girl, same. Um, yeah. So we're in the same, we're sort of in the same boat. So it becomes less of a, less of a, like a money-making venture as opposed to a, a kind of, I guess, a, a mission to service these people yeah. are going through the same thing that you're going through yeah. mm-hmm. and I mean, that's been some something that's sort of kept that's what's kept it, that's what's kept me going and keeping doing it as opposed to just being like oh, because it is tiring and it's a lot but it is at the end of the day my vision for it has always been the same and it hasn't changed and because it's not necessarily something that I want I'm I'm happily happy that it's successful but I don't do it for success or money monetary success i do it for the people who need it Mm -hmm. um regardless and you know i do other things and i do content creating and do other things and advocacy and modeling um but yeah there's there's a lot intertwined into it but the wigs are the mainstay and and my wig business is what i is what's my passion so and i think it's probably one of the most important things that have come out of my hair loss and it's because of my hair loss that I do it so there's people like oh so you know like would you ever want your hair back because every good thing that's ever that's happened to me since 2012 is mostly due to the fact that my hair fell out Mm. and it's do I wake up sometimes and think oh I wish I had hair yeah absolutely but I think if a cure landed in my lap right now I would chuck it away. I wouldn't Hmm. take it because I think that there's so much work that still needs to be done that I think, and and I've done so much work on myself to accept myself as I am now to then change back and not not be that person anymore. It's sort of, not that it undoes it, but it's like, what was the point of all that work? It was like, it was a lot of hard work learning to re-love myself and how I look so yeah it's been a long journey but it's been a positive one overall
0: thank you so much Gina honestly for sharing everything that you've been we've been talking about for the past hour and a half because I've learned a lot personally about about the topic and you know through your personal experiences uh, yeah I'm sure you brought value to me and I'm sure you brought value and you help other people. So thank you for that. Thank you for your openness and vulnerability to talk about this very personal, you know, topic uh, because it is personal and it takes courage, I think, to put it out there. It's not that easy.
1: Thank you.
0: Before we wrap it up, we have just one last question.
1: Yes, this is a question <laughs> that we ask um, all of our guests. Um, if you could have a conversation with anybody dead or alive, famous or not famous, it literally can be anybody ever, who you think would be the most interesting person, who would you choose, and what would you want to talk about?
2: Oh, that is a very interesting (laughs) question. Hmm. Who would I want to talk about? Talk to, even. There's so many. The first person who came to my head, and I don't know why, but I'm going to roll with the first person who came to my head, would be Eartha Kitt. Because... I think she's beautiful. She was beautiful and amazing, and I feel like she would have a lot of secrets. I feel like she's she'd know a lot of the uh, a lot of the celebrity gossip that we probably wouldn't know. And I just think that she, that would just be an interesting conversation because she was a very dynamic, exuberant woman. Um, and I find that her like her whole vibe was just amazing. She was like very sexy. She was very outspoken especially for her time um and i'd just like to have a chat and a drink and have her purr in my ear it would be yeah. awesome pro- yeah so i think the more i think about it yeah definitely earth
1: <laughs> we've never had that response before nope. it's so interesting <laughs> asking this question because every time we get someone different so thank you so much for sharing and thank you like James said thank you for sharing your whole story and teaching us because like i said i i thought alopecia was just stress and you could cure it and like i didn't know anything before you know obviously you taught us about it so thank you so much for sharing all of that information and yeah we'll leave everything linked in yeah. the show notes in the description box so your instagram your website um the wig shop as well we'll leave everything there so people can go ahead and find you and say hello um and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode but thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to talk to us
0: yeah and thank, thank everyone you everyone for, for
1: me.
0: thank you everyone for watching and listening and we'll see you next week bye-bye